Good morning. I am so glad you're here. Good to be with you, whether you're here or online. I appreciate you taking the time to worship, really. What an important and critical thing it is for our lives. And God is worthy of it all, that's for sure. Question as we get started this morning. You can take a deep breath with me. There you go. When's the last time you said to yourself, I can't do this? Today, (laughs) this morning, right before I walked up here? No, just kidding. I can't do this. You know, another way of saying this is I don't, I don't have what it takes, so I can't. This is too overwhelming, so I might not. You know, that sort of thing. You know, it's in times like this that we go to God. This week was my daughter's birthday. She turned 15. Yeah, seriously. And she, she got her permit, so be careful <laughs> on... No, anyway, yeah, I was reflecting on that this week, and I was thinking about 15 years ago, and that day when I drove my wife to the hospital, at Methodist Hospital, and um, I remember the moment we went in, and these things can take some time, and, and sitting there during the day, even though my wife said, it's happening today, and, and, then, and then it wasn't happening, and, and finally the doctor comes into the triage, and she says, um, we're going to send you home. And if you know anything about my wife, you don't send her anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, love you. Um, and she turns to me and she says, they should not be doing this. I'm having the baby today. Exact words. But they sent us home anyway. And here's the thing. We got stuck in traffic on the way home because it was late afternoon. And then we got home and she's like, uh, we have to go back. And I was thinking, yeah, but the doctor said, and she didn't like that, uh, for various reasons. And we got back in the car, got stuck in traffic going back. And by the time we got to admissions, she was like about to have the baby, okay? And so put her in a wheelchair, brought her into, you know, whatever, the, the admitting office there. And no kidding, she's like going to have the baby there. And they say, can you get in line, please, and check back in? And I was like, no, you didn't. You know, like that sort of thing. Like, you, you don't have any idea. Like, this is, this is happening, that sort of thing. Anyway, so we get back in line. And there's like people ahead of us, like 10 deep, you know. And they're like looking back, like, is she okay? And, and finally, they're like, you can take my spot in line. And, and we get up front, and they bring us over. And they're, now they're hurrying just a little bit. And then I'll never forget it. She like brings out her clipboard, and she's like, okay, what's your name? And we're like, are you serious? Like, who cares what our name is? You know, that sort of thing. Eventually, they sped up the process a little bit more. They brought up an elevator. We got off the elevator and never forget it. Looked down the hall, and that doctor that sent us home, she looked down the hall, like way down the hall, and she saw who came off the elevator, and she started running. And then the nurse ran down, got us, ran her into the room. We get into the room, and Shelly says to the nurse, so could I get some medication, or could I have an epidural, if you know what that, that is? And, and, you know, my wife is as tough as nails, seriously, but in the heat of the moment, do whatever you can to help me, that sort of thing. And then the nurse says, it's too late. Ever have one of those moments? It's too late. And it was too late. And then she turns to me and says these words, 
I can't do this. And my wife doesn't say those things, seriously. And then I started to worry. <laughs> because I remember thinking to myself, honey, that's not really good timing. Because <laughs> if that baby stays in your tummy, <laughs> uh, that wouldn't be very healthy. And I started worrying, like, she doesn't talk that way. Like, what if she can't? No, I, I didn't know what to think in that moment. I started to panic. She was panicking, all under the pain, that sort of thing. Moments later, she had the baby. She did do it, that sort of thing. We've all had that thought. We've all said it out loud. Might have even been this morning. Might be something big. It might be something small. We've all said it. You know, in worship, we take time to reflect upon the character of God. We've done it this morning already. And there's an aspect of God's character that we proclaim often. Yet the truth is, I really think we struggle to see and believe it in our hearts. And... And the character I'm speaking of is that God lacks nothing. Title of our sermon today, God lacks nothing, lacking nothing. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. There's many different ways to say this. There has never been a moment where he has been in need. Never has, never will be, right? And what's more incredible is that he offers this to us. Think about it. He is never inadequate. He is never flawed. He is never left wanting. He's never deficient. We are, and it's why we often feel like we can't or we don't have what it takes or we're not going to make it through whatever it is we're seeing or we don't want to get through it and we're giving up. And it's why when we face adversity, it can cause us to react in ways that exposes where our faith is really at. That shows that rather than having a stable faith in God, we have a conditional faith in God. I want to talk about that today. James talks about it in the first chapter. If you're following along, I encourage you to go there. Chapter 1. How many verses did we cover last week? One. One single verse. We'll make up for it today. We're going to go 2 through 18. Is that all right? As you go there... I will read it, but first, would you let me pray? Is that all right? Lord Jesus, whether at home or we're here, as we get into the book of James, we ask that you show us what we need to hear today. Because we are missing, we are lacking. And wherever we are at today on that wide spectrum, Lord, we ask that you would you would show us what we need to hear. You would open our ears to what we need to hear, our eyes to what we need to see. And so I ask you to do that now in this place and wherever we are at. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. James 1, starting at verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face or meet trials of various kinds. For you know, interesting, I want to pause there for a second, because it's what James is telling us as we hear it today. He's saying, really, you know this in your heart because you've seen it in your life. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or stability. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't think anyone wants to be inadequate or flawed or wanting. Another way of us 
asking the question, what we're talking about today, and, and, and maybe where we're at today, is what are you missing today? What are you missing today? What are you lacking? Be honest with yourself. Sometimes it's hard for us, especially guys. I think it's hard for us to deal with our feelings, so to speak, or at least we pretend it's hard, right? Even you, what are you missing today? What are you wanting today? What are you feeling desperately about? Be honest with yourself. What is hurting? What is bothering you? What is making you grumpy? Or maybe it's another thing that James is addressing here, and it all relates, and that is, what are you being tempted by that is leading you down a road you know you shouldn't be going down? The context here, or the background here, is faith. In other words, what we cannot see that we hope in. The thing that shows us for certain what we can hope in. That's faith. That is, in the believer in Christ's pursuit of holiness and growing relationship with God, we desire maturity because it's in maturity that there is stability, right? And James is showing us here how that's produced in the life of the believer. It's very scientific in that sense. He's showing us this is how it works. In a broken world, this is how it's going to work. And this is how God works. James here uses three terms. You might notice. Perfect, complete, and then the phrase, lacking in nothing. The idea is whole or not limited. This is why he's saying, we can say, count it all joy. Or it's why we can consider joy in a difficult time or an overwhelming time. Which really refers to this, and it applies to absolutely anything that any of you are going through right now. What we choose to do with whatever is presented to us. That's what we're talking about. What we choose to do with whatever is presented to us. A few examples. You get your heart broken by someone you love. could be in any context. But instead of rebounding, instead of going to things you shouldn't, you see that God has a plan or at least your hope is in that plan. Another example, you're getting poorly treated. Maybe it's at work. Maybe, maybe it's by a family member, someone you love. You know, Getting disrespected. Instead of those slashing back or slandering, you show grace. Another example, things aren't working out for you financially. Some of it's your own choices. Some of it's things you don't have any control over yourself. But instead of going and blowing more money, or making a poor choice, or giving up, you realize God is teaching you something and that it's good for you. Maybe another more general example. You're overwhelmed with what you're seeing, what you're seeing going on in the world, what you're experiencing. And, and rather than worry, you go to God in wisdom. You know, it's things like this, I could give a lot of examples, but it's things like this that pale in comparison to what James is writing as he's addressing the church at Jerusalem because they were going through some real trials. Being a believer in Christ in the day in which he is writing was really a dangerous thing. They were being persecuted. They were the castouts of society, so to speak. They were being neglected in every way. They were poor and needy. Not in a way that we are usually poor and needy, not to suggest we don't have 
that. But these were real trials. And James is telling us here, in this point number one, that the character of genuine faith is one that's stable or constant in God. In fact, a better way of saying it, I think, is stable or constant toward God and therefore joyful in any circumstance, stable towards God. This is how we are joyful in any trial, unwavering in faith, that sort of thing. Because God's unwavering. His word doesn't change. We do. Everything seems to change, but God does not. He is constant. And the point is, when we're stable towards God, We will not be shaken because God cannot be shaken. Notice James gives us some more specifics in verse 5. If any of you, talking to all of us here, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. What does that mean? It means God is the stable one. And he doesn't disappoint when we ask. Which, by the way, for some of us might be news to us because we certainly don't treat him often that way. We disappoint. Our circumstances disappoint us. The, the people around us and our expectations of people around us, they disappoint, right? But he asks us to ask him for wisdom because we need godly wisdom. We need his wisdom. We need to pray instead of all the other things we do instead of pray, which is a long list, but just to name a few. Worry, right? Which absolutely kills joy. You want to kill your joy today? Start worrying. Start worrying about what you're going to do this afternoon. Start worrying about all the things you can't do. Start worrying about how you're going to figure out what you need to figure out and all the time you don't have to do it. That'll kill your joy. Don't do that right now during the sermon, though. Or, or maybe another, avoid it. By the way, that won't help anything. <laughs> so I love the scriptures. They're proactive. They're true. You don't avoid your problems. This is certainly not avoiding the problem. What do we do instead of ask God for wisdom? We internalize. That's another thing we do. Well, I'll, I'll take care of this when the timing is right. I, I got this, that sort of thing. But all of it, James tells us, is a lack of, what do you, what do you think? Faith. It's lacking in faith. That's what he calls it. And he tells us in verse 6 this, But let him ask or pray in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. You see the picture that is being given to us here by James. Whatever way the wind comes, you're going in that other direction. It comes from the left, you go right. It comes from the right, you go left. It's just like another wave. Wave after wave after wave, change after change after change. You see what James is saying here. Double-mindedness, church, is the person who's swayed by feelings rather than truth, or the next fad, or the next common cultural opinion. 
Whatever comes, you just start thinking that way. The world moves in this direction, that's the way you think. You're taught this in school, that's the way you think. That's double-mindedness according to the Word of God. And rather than trusting in a truth that you can see that you know in your heart, you trust the world. And what happens to the church when it starts doing that? You start to look like the world. And that's what's happening to the church today in the Western world. We look more like the world than we do Christ, right? That's why we're unstable. And it's why I can say if you're unstable in God, you're unstable in your ways. If you're unstable in your ways, you're unstable in God. It's like a slack line. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen those slack lines? You could put like this line or this wire that, that you're supposed to balance on. I think it's like for core strength or something like that. And you can like stand on it and you do this. Like, imagine a loose slack line. You know what I'm saying? Imagine what that looks like, right? Unstable, right? That's it, right there. That's the church that is, that is swayed by the world, right? And rather than trusting in God, and trusting that God owns everything, has everything, and has never been left wanting, we say, well, I, I don't know. I don't think he can, that sort of thing. What does God ask of us? He says, ask for wisdom. See, the maturity of the Christian is evident in our response to tough situations because James is saying you will have them. Simple as that. And who we turn to and how we turn to him exposes what we really put our trust in. See, what's the purpose of a test? He says the testing of your faith produces stability. What's the purpose of a test? Is it to fail? I I think often we make it look that way or or we really think in our heads that's the reason. Like, if God is going to test us, well, he doesn't really love me because he wants me to fail. But no, the purpose of a test, my daughter took her driver's test this week, and by the way, she passed. (laughs) She said by one question, don't tell her I told you. Anyway, she passed. But what's the point? Believe it or not, the test comes to show us where we're at. That's the purpose. And in this sense, it's not even for God. In other words, God already knows, right? So the test isn't so that we're showing him something. The test is so that he can show us where we're lacking in character and where where our faith is conditional, that sort of thing. The test is for us to see This is why God calls us to ask for wisdom. Because God wants relationship. See, God is trying to do something lasting in our lives. Not temporary, not fleeting. Something eternal. And this should inform our prayer, which is exactly what James is talking about. Meaning, this is how we should pray. We're used to praying, God, here is all my problems. Dump and just throw it on him. By the way, he wants those things too. But here's what we should also be praying. God, make me more aware of you and less of me. Because we're not God. 
or God, make me more in awe of you and less in awe of my situation. By the way, that's what I pray all the time. Oh, I, I don't know what to do about this. And God is saying, really? I put that in your life because I wanted you to go through it. Now, that might be hard to take, but the truth is, I think we know there's some things that God has allowed in our life so that we would have some stability in him. And we need to get specific about prayer. We need to be more specific with God. We're way too general in the way we pray. God, whatever you want, your will be done. Or let's pray for this and that right before bed and right before a meal. God wants a relationship. And that is faith. See, the road to stability towards God and steadfastness is in relationship with Him. Please don't think I'm guilting us into praying more. No, I'm hoping that we place our trust in Jesus who can answer prayer and has the ability to bring us through a trial that we can't ourselves. You know, one way to kickstart a prayer life is to join what your church is doing. And if you were listening earlier, we're starting a 40 days of prayer leading up to the election. And it's not just about an election. It's about a return to God. It's about going to Him about our needs, both personally and, of course, as a nation. Join the 40 days of prayer. It starts on the 25th. Spend each day in this, and maybe that will kickstart your prayer life. What a good thing to do. And here's why. James tells us, it's the second point, that the goal of genuine faith is to produce in us something pleasing to God, which is always in accordance with His will, not our own. What kind of trials do you think James was speaking to as, he's, as he is uh, addressing trials within the church in which he's speaking and, of course, the church generally? More specifically, we're actually given an idea here in chapter 1. It's actually three things that he brings up. The first has to do with poverty and wealth. So primarily he's speaking to those who are lacking but he's actually addressing both sides. He's saying when you have much, you tend to rely on God less. But when you have very little, you tend to either go to the wrong things than God or you really seek God. You can see it for yourself in verses 9 through 11. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of those. Then he talks or alludes to, which he'll get into more as we get into the text later on in the coming weeks, the testing of sickness or health problems or conditions. I don't know where you're at with that or other family members, but that's something that's so real for so many of us. And then there's a third thing. The other thing he mentions is trials. And, and in verse 13, he talks about the lure and enticement of temptation. Now, there's a little bit of a difference between this one and the other two, and he shares that. He says, it's not God who tempts you, but it's your own desire. So in other words, this isn't a testing that God sends you in that sense. Because God cannot tempt you. God has nothing to do with sin and never will. 
Temptation comes from our own desires. And what James tells us is it's deadly when it's fully grown. That's when it really gets dangerous, which reminds me of Jesus in the wilderness. In fact, I think James is alluding to this, and the reason for that is because what I think James is referencing is actually Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'll explain what I mean by that. It really kind of shadows everything that we're reading here in James. Because Jesus' temptation in the garden, which we can read of in Matthew 4, talks about Jesus being out in the wilderness for 40 days. And it's after 40 days that Jesus is then tempted by Satan. Now keep in mind, Jesus is praying and fasting out in the wilderness. Imagine going 40 days with no food and then having the tempter come and say something like this. You know, those stones over there, Jesus, you could turn them into bread. If you just do what I say, you could just be done with this and and you could just have the meal you need. And what's Jesus' response? It's a response that we read of in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he's remembering the suffering of Israel out in the wilderness. We're talking about a season of life, 40 years in the wilderness, in which Israel endured in order for them to enter the promised land. And Jesus says of that, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, Man shall not live by what? Bread alone but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. Isn't it interesting that roots grow deeper in dry soil because they're looking for water? What a picture that gives us about what God wants to do in our lives. And James alludes to this further on than we've gotten so far in the text in verses 12 and in 17 and 18. Look there with me. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, the promised land, which God has promised to those who love him. And of course, the foundation is to those who have received the mercy of God through Jesus Christ by grace, in faith, not our own doing. Then it says in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, the one who reveals to us the truth. That's what that means. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, that is our stable. That is our constant. See, the goal of genuine faith is to produce in us something pleasing to God. And that's what he says in verse 18. Of his own will, not ours, God's will, he brought us forth from the word of truth or by the word of truth that we should be some kind of first fruits. And anytime you hear the word first fruits, it's certainly recalling what happened way back in Genesis at the beginning when the first worship to God was given And one son of Adam and Eve gave of the first fruits, and the other son did not. In other words, the other put God first, the other put God somewhere second, third, or fourth, which is always what is being alluded to 
with first fruits. Israel is the first fruits, the first called by God to be an example for God to the world. First fruits, that God would be first, that he would be number one, that he would be king and Lord and Savior. That's what God is doing. You know, it's so freeing to know that God has a plan in everything we face. And that that plan really isn't for us, it's for him. It's actually freeing to know that. And that despite what we have to endure, he is the constant. He is the stable. So ask yourself the question as you think about this subject and as it relates to your life. Not your neighbor's life, your life, okay? When my faith is tested, how do I usually respond? Now think about being, again, reminded of the truth that we already know in our hearts. How might then we respond as we go from here today? It always helps to consider the other choices you have. So let me just be honest with you, as James is honest. What are the other choices you have? Should I choose joy in my trial? Or should I choose, well, what other choices do I have? I can wallow in my problems, I can worry, I can fear. I can seek seek a temporary fix, which won't help anything, because I'll just have to face the trial as soon as that's done. I, I can internalize and think I can overcome this. It, there's a long list. But what is the benefit to choosing joy in any circumstance? Well, we just read it in chapter 1, verses 12 and 17 and 18. The first is, blessing comes after the trial. Because after the trial, you are stronger. That's the benefit. And secondly, we see it in verse 17, that the best gifts are from above. Hard for us to see here and now. Because we constantly struggle with it. Well, I I don't want to live for later. I want to live now. That sort of thing. But that in itself is a deception. Because the best gifts are gifts that are eternal. That's why the best gifts are from above. Here's the awesome thing about God. I'm going to say this in closing and ask the worship team to come up as I say it. His lacking in nothing is our lacking in nothing. You want to be ready able for anything the world throws at you, which is so important to your mental health and your emotions and your stability and your relationships and your purpose in life, right? It's so important for your attitude and the decisions you make. You want to be stable? You want to be constant? You want to be ready? And make God your stability and not your circumstances. lack faith. Man, we forget that God is all-powerful. He is lacking in nothing. And although we will face some things, there's nothing more important than what is from above. As we reflect on that and uh, we 
ask God for wisdom in closing, I want us to consider this. What is God doing in your life right now that you know, just as James talks about, you know is for your own good, but you just don't want to accept it? I'm dealing with some of that myself. And I want you to do this. I want you to bow your head right now with me and pray that God would give you wisdom in it. Just for this moment, don't pray, God, take it away. You've already done that. <laughs> I've already done that. Instead, pray, God, give me wisdom. Heavenly Father, we need your wisdom. It's our only way to maturity and strength and growth. We need your wisdom. We will face trials. We are facing them, Lord. But what we do in the midst of them and who we turn to or what we turn to matters because it reveals where we're placing our trust. It reveals our very character. And God, you want to do something in us lasting. So I just pray over the church now, over my life, that you would continue that work and that I would be accepting of that. Lord, your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts, higher than ours. Psalmist says, as high as the heavens are above and the earth below is your thoughts for mine. Because you know and I don't. So Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. Give us all wisdom. And may we commit to be diligent through you, Jesus Christ. You give us that grace give us that power through your spirit to come to you in wisdom and to receive what we are lacking for you are lacking nothing. And we pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.